Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you're in the right place. My guest this episode has an incredible personal story and journey of resilience and inspiration throughout his life. He's also the host of the Overcome Out Loud podcast, where he's got more episodes coming here in 2023. He's also a speaker, coach, and a friend. Please welcome to the Elevate podcast, Charlie Smith. Charlie, how are you doing today? I'm great. It's an awesome Friday morning. I'm so looking forward to being with you, Tyler. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. I've been wanting to to chat for a while. Um, I got my my pen here. You sent me a long time ago. That's um, right. So let's Absolutely. let's uh, start with that. I, I love kind of just the, my pen story. And can you just talk a little bit about that to get us going? Because I think when I was younger, I surrendered my pen to other people and uh, had consequences. And I just think it's a very powerful analogy to to understand. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. It, it, it is for me. And I'll tell you, the origin of it is is really my own journey through life. And you know, before I begin, I'll say, you know, it's interesting because a lot of comments are made about social media's impact on the world and how it's it could be good or bad. And it's like, I think about, you know, what you pour into things is what you get out. And really, if it wasn't for social media being drawn to the inspiration that you provide through your platform and reaching out to you, because it was really through you know, messaging on social media that you and I connected, I sent you the pen and this yeah. relationship was kind of blossomed out of that. So, you know, just what you, what you surround yourself with is what you get. So I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, both of our interest in, in what we do and, and sending you the pens important to me because for me, Tyler, I, what I realized about 14 years ago when I was suffering from acute alcoholism and addiction, and it kind of was burning my life to the ground. And, and I say that with, the idea that from the outside, everything looked good in my life. You know, I was a successful, you know, entrepreneur. I had a real estate company. I was married. I had a couple of kids, a couple of wonderful kids, you know, but I was destroying my life with drugs and alcohol because of my internal yeah. narrative. You know, I think things in life, you know, we do because of the meaning we give them. And what I realized, you know, was that a lot of things has ha- had happened to me in my past and, and, and the pages of my life were written on by the people that had influenced me negatively when I was young. And I kept reading those pages and I kept listening to what they were saying and interpreting it as the truth, believing it. And then I was behaving in accordance with those old pages. And at some point, you know, I had to decide, you know, to take this back, you know, to take this pen back and decide to write on the pages of my life, you know, and and what I'll tell you is as much as I blamed and was a, felt a victim of all of the abuse I suffered as a kid, which was horrific and shouldn't happen to anybody. The truth is, Nothing was wrong with me. Something happened to me. And when I changed my life, Tyler, when I took this pen back, the day I took it back, all those circumstances were exactly the same. But the meaning I gave them was different. And what I decided to write about the next day of my life, who Charlie Smith wanted to be, changed. And I no longer was reading the old pages. I was reading, well, who do I want to be? You know, where do I want to go? And that's where, you know, I created this platform. And that's why my mission in life is to allow everybody to own the pen, to be the author of their life to create the life they want. I love it. Um, I think there's a, I fell into that trap too. They always say, you know, people trying to find and seek instead of create and be. Yeah. You it's know, a great point. 
And I think sometimes we young people get caught in that trap of they have to go out and find what they're supposed to be instead of, you know, being empowered with creating it. Yeah, I'm going to read you a message I just got from 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 somebody that that I met with yesterday. Yeah. Something shifted inside me when you broke the old pen I was holding onto into a thousand pieces and threw it on the floor. Charlie, you gave me your pen and you said, this is your story. This is your life. You're looking through the windshield now, not the rearview mirror. It's not your sister or your father's story. It's your story. It's your life. This is your pen. I feel different today. I'm ready. You know, and that's that's the idea. And you said it actually so eloquently. Don't you don't have to find yourself, create yourself, you know, and that is, you know, intentional. But I think a lot of us just don't know how to look through that windshield with the right perspective, with a new pair of glasses and say, you know, the rearview mirror is there for a reason. It's small, you know, but the windshield's really big, you know, and that's and that's what I want to look through. Yeah, I think on my own journey and probably yours, too, I think the hardest moment of taking over the pen, so to speak, um, is having that truthful self-awareness. Can you talk a little bit about just kind of the importance of self-awareness and why maybe sometimes it, it gets a bad rap, uh, yeah. but it's really one of the most uh, useful tools that can guide us? Yeah, I'll tell you, I had uh, I had my first experience with true self-awareness when I, I read a book called The Secret to the Slight Edge. I wasn't much of a reader. I'd read a few business books, you know, um, but I wasn't much of a reader and I wasn't much for personal development because I had this false... The best way I could describe myself to you is I was an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. And I thought if I really looked at myself, if I truly was self-aware that I wouldn't like what I see. And so why look, you know, I'm just going to continue to try to show you who I think you want me to be. I think that's a trap when we work with young adults, you know, or young athletes, you know, that kind of self-judgment of other people or expectations of other people get in the way of who you actually are as a person, you know, that can extend to who you are as a player. And so for me, I heard a term called self-image management. And I was like, what the hell is self-image management? And self-image management is the advertising campaign that you have about yourself. What makes you who you are? There is only one Charlie Smith. There's only one Tyler Johnson in this world. You have a unique gift. You have a unique divine spark inside of you. What makes that who you are? What areas of your life do you want to improve on? And I think that's, you know, when I look at self-awareness, it's not just this rosy picture of, oh, I'm a good guy. It's like, what parts of your life do you want to improve upon? And then how are you going to do that, Charlie? And it's not judging myself, Tyler. It's actually, you use the term, it's being aware of myself, honest self-reflection without judgment, identifying what makes me, you know, special and unique. What gifts do I have? What areas of my life am I not happy with that I want to improve upon? And then how am I going to do that? And any incremental change, you know, any incremental shift can automatically start to shift how I see myself. Because to your point, we watch ourselves, right? So I've been watching myself, you know, you can't lie to yourself. So your eyes and your subconscious are watching your behaviors. And if your beliefs and your behaviors are out of alignment, you know, then all of a sudden you create this integrity gap. And, and I say, like, for my golfers, it's like the golfer, the golf ball knows who you brought to the course today. You know, if you've been putting your reps in in the morning, you know, if you got in a fight with your girlfriend and you haven't resolved it in your mind and you can't shift your focus to the, we know who we are. Um, but if we don't take time to understand it and learn about it, then we can never kind of be it. I love it. And I, I think the, you mentioned belief there, I think it's just always one of those foundational things when it comes to confidence and um, self-awareness of our confidence. Can you talk about 
maybe how young people, athletes can build a belief that isn't just hokey, but it actually moves towards confidence? Yeah, it's it's a great question. So, I, I mean, I won't go into this too deep, but I will tell you this. The first thing to build a belief system is to remove your limiting beliefs. You know, I have a good friend of mine in the performance space, George Mumford, who's who's worked, you know, with with Kobe and with Michael Jordan. He's, you know, uh, considered the performance whisperer. And he said something to me really groundbreaking for me when I was struggling with my own identity. And he says, you know, you're you're kind of habitually thinking old thoughts about yourself and you need to shift that because your limiting beliefs charlie act like a gatekeeper to your new healthy core beliefs and and the visualization that i had of that is like, like imagine a sponge that you wanted to wipe up some new healthy core beliefs with but you had the cellophane wrapped around the sponge you can't absorb those new healthy core beliefs so the first thing is you have to look at those limiting beliefs that you're holding on to whatever that not, not good enough narrative find out where that came from challenge it be aware of it challenge it yeah and then change it. And so yeah. that's, I think, when we talk about beliefs, it's like, we have to look at, I think David Goggin calls it our confidence cookie jar. What are the things that you've done to get where you are that you can rely on and become consciously competent about to project into the things you want to do next? We've all faced challenges. You know, you went from little league to club to high school ball, you know, you've made these advancements. And, and, and as you get to the next level, you start to become one of many but you're still unique. And I think we start to compare ourselves instead of competing with ourselves to be better than we were yesterday. And so the belief system comes from self-awareness, understanding what it is that you've done up until now to face challenges that you've had. And how can you apply those skills, those gifts, those characteristics of yourself to the next thing you want to do? Yeah. Athletes and performers and people get confused that they need to feel confident before they take an action. And the feeling of confidence follows the actions of confidence. And so when we help people take confident actions and then see the results of those, then they start to feel more confident. I'll give you the best example I can for all of us. Riding a bike. Remember when you were a kid in the neighborhood growing yep. up? Yep. Oh, yeah. Training, training wheels. You saw all the kids that took the training wheels off and they fell and they got hurt and they scraped their knee and they scraped their knuckles and they got back up and they started to ride their bike again. If we left our training wheels on, and didn't fall, we'd never get to go with our friends on those cool trails, you know, yep. but the more you did it, the better you got at it. And now all of a sudden you're consciously competent. You ride a bike without even thinking about it. You're unconsciously competent after becoming consciously competent. So now you've learned to ride a bike and now you ride a bike without thinking. We just have to encourage people to take the training wheels off more often. Yeah. More. yeah, I love it. Uh, you mentioned earlier influence, and I think that's such an important thing, especially for aspiring athletes, so, you know, whether they're trying to play varsity or college or, or beyond, um, who you surround yourself with, right? There's the old adage, you know, show me your five friends and I'll show you your future. Um, why is it so important that we surround ourselves with the right people um, that are also in alignment with the things we want to go after or achieve? I think there's, I think there's two reasons. And I, I've, I've played both sides of this puzzle. Um, so as an example, when I was in active alcoholism and addiction, I would hang around guys that were doing coke in the bathroom at the country club. So I was a country club member. So on the outside, it looked like I was who you thought I would be. But the people I hung around with made me feel okay with my, with my mediocrity, you know, with my bad behavior. You know, it's okay to skip the workout. John skipped the workout. When you hang around with people that skip workouts, you, you become subconsciously associated 
connected with those behaviors. So the first thing is in, in business, we say, don't be the smartest person in the room. You want to be challenged. You want to be around people that can teach you. You want to be coached. You want to have your friends help you become better. And so better influence, better challenges, better results. The other thing, the other thing is we're all needing at a human level connection, right? And when you strengthen connection, you strengthen results. There's old the, the old pole horses before there were tractors. One pole horse could pull 8,000 pounds. When you put two of them together, they could pull 24,000 pounds, not 16. And within a month of working together, they could pull 32,000 pounds, right? So those are energy engines. And then there's energy anchors where, you know, the field doesn't get plowed, the weeds grow because, you know, both of the horses are sitting, you know, having a beer, playing video games. And so what we what we put into our lives is what we become. I love it. Um yeah, I appreciate you you being vulnerable. You tell your story very well. And I think, you know, there's a power in vulnerability and leadership. Can you talk about, you know, why being able to accept yourself and be vulnerable really kind of leverages sometimes your opportunities and ability to lead others? Yeah, it's a great question. God, it's a great question. And it's and it's hard because, you know, we're we're taught especially for, for men in the world, we're taught to have this kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, kind of this, this guy behind me, you know, this kind of into the wind cowboy mentality of, of just kind of toughen up. And, and the truth is every human being is fallible. Every human being has their struggle. We identify with each other through those struggles. When I talk about leadership, one of the important elements of leadership, one of the, the eight C's of leadership I train is connection. And connection is going through shared adversity together, right? It's easy to be connected when we're winning. It's easy to be connected when we're practicing well. It's easy to be connected when we're closing lots of deals. What about when we're not? You know, can you stay connected to the people in your life, you know, through their adversity? Because, you know, I, I think leaders need to have vision. And the acronym that I use for vision is C. Servant leadership is the most important type of leader. So being responsible and accountable for the other guy's around you. I was just listening to Zach Sorensen, the mental performance coach for the Atlanta Braves, talking about the outfielder from the Cubs who gave the, the rain delay talk. Guy was batting 190, even though he'd had a big year uh, contract wise, you know, the money he got, he wasn't playing well. And he brought the guys in and said, look, who we are right now, you know, is not who we're going to be when we walk out of this dugout. And he gave this great talk at, at, at the rain delay of the, of the World Series for the Cubs. You know, and what he told everybody is what he wanted them to be, how he had their back, how he saw who they were in the batter's box. And he knew that they were going to strike the next ball and rip it out of the park. And he, you don't have to have a C on your chest to be a leader. And just because you don't doesn't mean that you are one. So, you know, we, we lead through connection and being vulnerable and sharing my own adversity connects me to my fellow man. Doesn't make me worse than them or better than them. It makes me one of them. Yeah, definitely. I love it. Um, you've, uh, I know, know some, some of the, uh, people I've also had on the podcast. So we've only played this game once or twice before, but, uh, I'm going to name a, a couple of my former guests. You mentioned one earlier, uh, but I want to know how you would describe them in your experience, uh, in one or two words. Uh, sure. so it's the first one. We'll start with, uh, George Mumford that you mentioned. Love. Love. Uh, Brian Kane. Intense intense uh colin henderson thoughtful thoughtful yeah i, I like playing that game those are uh, amazing yeah. it's good I, was yeah. like, I, feel, I definitely feel all those vibes and all those people as well so uh um, well well and, and and let me tell you how i experience you 
is, sure. is, is authentic. You know, you're one of the most authentic dudes that I've run across, man. And, and again, you know, how we got connected and then watching what you do. You know, I think the one thing I love about all the people that you talked about is we're all in similar spaces of performance and helping people and the lack of competition or the lack of like, you know, kind of, of, of staying disconnected. We connect, we get on each other's podcast, we share our experience because we learn from each other that, you know, I think we all talk about sharks do swim with sharks and iron does sharpen yeah, iron yeah. and, and all boats rise, you know, when we lift each other up and it's, an important element because I think one of the things you and I share, and I and I, I want to make sure that this message gets out, is being of service isn't just when it's convenient. Being of service is when anybody needs you. I like to say I go where I'm needed until I'm needed where I go. <laughs> yeah. it's like I'm not here, you know, to sell anything. I'm not here to outperform anybody. I'm here to learn and grow and help others learn and grow, you know, by by sharing my wisdom and learning from you. I greatly appreciate that. I mean, uh, meant a lot. That uh, almost got me choked up here, Charlie. Uh, but uh, yeah, and I, I think on kind of you know bringing up some of those other people. Um, you know, I think all of us in our journey, maybe it was some of those people. I know you mentioned George, but um, in your kind of transformation from from who you were to who you are now, was there a couple people that that played a major role and just had maybe a little bit uh, greater influence on who you've become? Yeah, for sure. I mean, George is, you know, George was, uh, was officiated at my wedding. He's become, we met through an athlete who neither of us really have a relationship with today that was, that was training for the NBA, but George and I became instant soul, instant soulmates. And he had a, he's had a huge impact in my role. Trevor Moad, before he passed away, Trevor Moad was a huge uh, mentor of mine and a huge thought leader for me. He actually introduced me to his dad book, his dad's book, Secret to the Slight Edge, which was the first kind of mental performance, personal development book I ever read. Um, and it's one I pour over. Um, and, and so both of those guys have had a huge impact on me. Uh, and then Brian, you know, and Colin are both in the mental performance space, but they've been my coaches and my mentors helping me refine how I teach. Um, sure. but what's interesting about all of us, you know, and I've heard you, you share openly about your own depression, anxiety, we all come from, you know, George was a heroin addict, you know, Colin was a stutterer and a two sport athlete. I mean, who had mental performance issues. Brian says he was the most underperforming college baseball player. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we all come from adversity, you know, and, and I think the, the message for all of our athletes is your sport is what you do. Yeah. It's not who you are. You know, when we identify and we put all of our, all of our worth into making a shot, getting a hit, scoring a goal, um, you know, saving a goal, um, making a putt, you know, and then we don't, does that mean we're not, you know, you're, you're such a, an overall person and, and looking at all of the attributes, whether it's a friend, a brother, a son, a partner, an artist, a, you know, a music lover, a music maker, a music listener. It's just like, we've got all of these things that make us who we are. And let's not limit ourselves to seeing ourselves as, as just success in our sport. You know, being an athlete is how you get up in the morning, how you go to bed at night, how you go through your whole day, how you are with your teammates, uh, how you are with yourself, how you are with your coaches. You know, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson has one of the greatest quotes, you know, for me that I live by, which is who you are, speak so loudly, I can't hear a word you're saying. You know, I used to talk to people about who I was, but I wasn't acting as if and acting yeah. like that. So that congruency becomes really important. Yeah, and I think that's uh, one of the big things I harp on with athletes is, you know, we talked about belief, we talked about influence, they're great, but eventually you do got to do stuff, right? We got to take action. Um, 
And then most importantly, when we take that action, it's got to be in, in alignment with those beliefs we talked about earlier. Can, can you talk about how sometimes maybe self-awareness is that key, but you know, how living in alignment really is kind of the accelerator to, to reach in the places we want to get? Yeah, I'm going to see if I can find this. Um, so here, here's all of my athletes on their phone have their core values. So this this is this is one of my tennis players, courageous, hardworking, own opinion, respectful, disciplined and grateful. Um, you know, here's uh, here's one of my ball players: patience, empathy, discipline and leadership. Your values are so installed. Like, I don't know how you're going to show up every day and how the results that you're going to get, but you can always get your values. So when you have values, the first thing is you have values. What are your values? You know, that self-awareness you just talked about. What are your values? Secondly, define them. What do those values mean, right? So empathy or hard work or courageous means different things to me than you, than it does to Sally or Brenda. So let's get clear about what that means for you. And then identify the behaviors that are above the line for that value and the behaviors that are below the line. That's self-awareness. That's like this idea that I can be, have, and do anything if I live in alignment, but live in alignment with what? It's like I have principles that I have right on my desk, you know, of, of the filter that I put my life through. And principles are like muscles, just like you work a muscle in the gym. If one of your principles is discipline and you sleep through your alarm and you're late to practice, then you're not being disciplined. You're out of alignment. And if you ignore that, you stay out of alignment. Then you start to have that kind of integrity gap I talked about. And then you start to blame the coaches or blame your teammates. And you start to look at what other people are doing instead of looking what you can do, right? So yeah. why something's happening is not a great question. What can I do about it is, is the answer. And those values and a value structure. So identify them, define them, and then identify the behaviors that go along with them. So in practice, if, if you are going to be somebody who's, you know, uh, value is leadership. Like my boy here, what does leadership mean to you? You know, and how are you a leader? And what are the behaviors that go along with it? And if you live by those, man, the, 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 the at-bats take care of themselves. The goals take, you know, life takes care of itself. Yeah. Kind of like a scorecard, right? Right, yeah. right, right yeah. Jeff? No doubt. No doubt. I, I like to talked about kind of the defining some of those things. I think especially in a, 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 a world that can seem buzzworthy <laughs> at times. Um, and I, can you speak a little bit? I, Cause I think it's especially important when we even branch out to have shared values and visions within a team um, that a coach and a team has shared definitions. Cause I think what the, what a coach think is, is toughness may be different from what a 18, 20 year old thinks toughness is. Can you talk a little bit about just why shared definitions are so powerful to help us actually focus on those those core items yeah another a great question and an important question right so so clarity creates consistency right and i'll give you an example a lot of people will say fan, we're a family right well family to one person may mean who they call when they're in jail and family to another person may mean the reason they never go Let's, to jail okay I'll interrupt because I, I think that one's that gets overused. And I think I've worked with athletes who came from a great family and ones who have no concept of what one was. Exactly and, right. And so when a coach uses it, it's like, well, my family was shitty. So I'm supposed to be <laughs> shitty to everyone. Like, so it's like, I, I think you that's what, in college athletics, it. I've seen that one get thrown out there with confusion amongst the crowd. 
Yeah, you, so. it, it, it's exactly why it's important. So I have a coach who says, oh, we're selfless. If I ask the 16 guys on his team what selfless means, each of them have a different idea of what selfless means. But what does it mean to be selfless on this team? Does that mean that, you know, when, we, when, we're, when we're coming out of the game, that we hand the towel to the guy, we high-five every guy, that we all run over and pick a guy up when he takes a charge, you know, that we – that we rebound in practice for everybody. What does selfless mean to you? How do we know if we're being selfless? Because if you can't answer the question, then it's just an idea. And so clarity creates consistency and consistency creates a performance measurement. And so if you don't know what it is, how do you know if you're being it? And how do you, most importantly, the two elements of really having a, let's call them core values for an organization or a team, how do you grow them and how do you hold each other accountable for them? Because like you said, if I don't, if it means something different to me and I'm like, hey, bro, I'm being selfless. And you're like, yeah, but you did this. Well, that's selfless to you, not me. Let's all agree on what it is. Hold each other accountable for it. Now, like when you talk about culture, it's a conditioned set of beliefs that an organization has that drives behaviors of that organization that creates results on that team or organization. So if you don't get those parts of it and have clarity, then you can't hold each other accountable, which is really important in leadership, and you can't grow as an organization. I like how you brought up accountability because I think that's how coaches want, you know, I, I cringe when I hear give me buy-in or ask for buy-in, but they want to, what they really want is accountability. And I think shared definitions, you know, is, is what can leverage to gain you, you know, more accountability from your, your team and teammates. Uh, yeah, so I, I think you brought that up. I think what I've learned for me is the only real accountability is self-accountability. The only real discipline is self-discipline. It's like ultimately I have to be able to look in the mirror and say, look, I'm accountable and responsible for the things I do from the time I get up in the morning till the time I go to bed. Those are all Charlie choices. Nobody else. Nobody else has this pen. Nobody else is telling me what time to get up, what to eat, what to drink, how to sleep, how long to be on my phone. Those are all choices. How long to practice how long to meditate, how long to visualize, you know, how long to get into the batting cages, how long to go to the putting green, you know, how long to work on my Excel spreadsheet to make my sales. Those are Charlie choices and Charlie choices create Charlie's life in every aspect, spiritual, emotional, um, uh, physical, financial, um, you know, that old adage, right? Tyler, I'm responsible. For sure. I think it's the biggest thing I always tell kids like they, I'm not getting a chance. Well, what kind of choices are going to give you a chance? Our choices will create chances. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a, I love that. Uh, Chris Thomas, who played wide receiver in the NFL for, for eight or 10 years and, and won a Super Bowl with the Rams, a good friend of mine, and he was not getting a lot of reps in practice. And he was a victim. He's like, you know, I came out of this school. I, I fought through to get to the NFL. I've had this career and I'm only getting this many reps in practice. And, and, and he wasn't making good use of those reps. And Chris Thomas became an elite receiver in the NFL when he said, every rep's my rep. I'm just going to, the reps I get, I am going to be the sharpest route runner. I'm going to have my hand. I'm going to make every catch I can. And instead of worrying about the reps he wasn't getting, he started enjoying the ones he did get. And it totally changed the trajectory of his career. Yeah. And I think it's like when I've choice and chance, I was like, you can make choices that are in alignment with your beliefs. It's hard for random chance to always be in alignment with who you are. But yeah. we, in the, the choice part, we get a little leverage there. Um, one other question that I always like to ask, uh, in the work you do now, what brings you the most joy, Charlie? Uh, you know, watching people grow and learn about themselves and feel fulfilled. I mean, the word I use, I mean, happy's hard, joy's hard, 
Uh, it's hard to be positive all the time. But if I can be fulfilled and I can be fulfilled in what I do every day as a person, I can help other people feel fulfilled in their lives. It gives me the most the most joy um, to give somebody a solution. I think one of the things I think you and I share is that we're solution focused. You know, we're not here to talk about necessarily your feelings, but talk about giving you strategies that you can do to deal with your feelings. You're going to have feelings, you know, to say that you're not, that you shouldn't feel a certain way, frustrated, angry, sad, disappointed. Those are human emotions. It's never those emotions that get in our way. It's how do we react and giving people strategies and skills to deal with the things that are holding them back. It's like these light bulbs goes, go on. It's like, wait, I can think about that differently. I can have a different narrative. I can deal with that differently. And that will actually make me better. Um, because I think, you know, we hear a lot from coaches who are really focused on game planning X's and O's, and they really don't have the time, you know, or know the skills or drills that their kids need to develop their athletes, their performers to get them into the right mindset when they're not at practice. And so uh, I love giving, you know, stat, stat, strategy and tactics to people to change their lives. I love it. I love your passion about everything that's i think one of the things i always uh feel back from you whether it's through social media or uh our interactions and things like that and i think uh you have so much to give and to teach through your own experiences um and you know it's kind of as we as we wrap up uh if you could uh hop in a time machine i think going through the things you've done um and you could give you know 16 year old self one piece of advice What's the one thing you would go back and whisper to a 16 year old self? Yeah. Great question. Wow. I got a lot to say to that kid, but the first thing I'd say is, Hey buddy, you don't have to do this alone, man. Ask for some help. Let somebody know what's going on. You don't have to win or worry alone. You got a lot of stuff going on. You're a 16 year old kid. You don't have to figure this out on your own. Grab an ear of somebody you trust, have a conversation with them and ask for help.